<laughs> I thought you were going to do the clap. What happened to the clap? Uh, <laughs> listen, y'all. Well, I, I did do the clap. Like, did you? Y'all, it's... <laughs> Look, we're here now. We're recording the podcast. We're here. We're here. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So, listen, I'm excited to be here. I'm sure Grad is excited to be here. Ah, no, this one doesn't know what I know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I, I hope so. I hope so. You better be. No, you never know. You can't even see me. I'm you a better be. I'm in a different country. How can you know? I'm Toby. Hi, and I'm Griffith. This is the next stage. Da, da, da. So, in case you can't tell from our accent, uh, I'm Toby, I'm English, and Greta is originally from Malta. Yes, and that also means I do not have a specific accent because eh, I'm Maltese. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but no, like I lovingly call him a Malteser. Ah. Because honestly, oh, she hates it. Oh, I don't. It's just such a, a boring joke. I mean, do you put. Okay, give us a nickname. What's your nickname? You can't, I can't nickname myself. That's lame and boring. <laughs> okay, okay. We'll, we'll come up with one for you a little later in the show. Okay. But for now, um, but for now, yo, this is the next stage. We are super excited to be here. Um, so we'll just give you a little bit of background about what we're on about. I think that would be quite nice, wouldn't it? Rather than naming each other different sorts of chocolate, I yeah. suppose. <laughs> Might make more sense but, for um, people listening. Yeah, it would make a lot of sense. Like, hmm, is this Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the podcast? Nope, it's not. Um, This is a brand new theatre podcast. And we are here to, you know, kind of give you guys a bit more of an insight into what it means to be in the theatre world. We want to um, kind of spotlight loads of different theatre companies and artists, not just from the UK, but also from Malta, because, you know, we're international now. Yeah, and I also have uh, some friends who come from different places in the world, so we can have them on as well. So we'll, the aim basically is try and get as many opinions and as many experiences and anything really relating to anything from the arts, not just theatre, from all around the world. Oh, completely. Like, if you want to kind of have not necessarily your mind's challenge, more so what you think theatre is, be kind of opened up a little bit. This is the podcast for you, baby. You know, this is what we're looking at. Or in this case, hearing that. We have good hearing it. <laughs> Since this is our first episode, our introductory episode, you guys obviously know nothing about us, and you guys just hear our voices. So we're going to be asking each other questions, and basically to help you get to know us. Uh, how this will work is we have we'd split the episode kind of in two sections. So the first bit will be Toby asking me questions, and the second bit will be me asking Toby questions. This is not necessarily the structure or layout for all of future episodes. It's just how this one's going to work. That part. Better literally coming for my gig. Grill me, Toby. Grill me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, but listen. I mean, Greta said it all. You know, this is just a nice chance to get to know who we are. So, shall we get into it then? Let's go. Let's go. Was that your. Please tell me that was your English accent. I don't know what that was. No, no, no. There's nothing more. Can I ask a very serious question before we get into uh-huh. this? Um, this is true of English people. English people have this immense fascination with other countries attempting to do their accents. <laughs> okay. Is that the same? Like, do Maltese people be like, hmm, I wonder what somebody else doing my accent would sound like? We don't, but only because we're too small. I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, yeah, small country. Yeah, we we don't we don't think about what other people would do to replicate our accent because we're not self-centered like the English. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. You're self-aware. Self self-aware. No comment. Uh, um, shall we get started then, Toby? What? Uh, I've been destroyed, and we're not even ten minutes into this recording. <laughs> Yo, 
no. over 2,000 years of history could be boiled down to this. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, listen. So, okay, we've established that you are and currently live in Malta, Miss Greta. Yes. So, right. you know, tell us a little bit, give us a bit of background. What was it like growing up there? What was it like in school? And, um, you know, how did you find your way into land of Oz that is the theatre world? All right. So, as I said, we're a tiny country. You can cross, like, one end to another in 45 minutes. So that's really, really small. Uh, we always had this, and it's, it's a really big thing. It's kind of, the, uh, we're quite a, I would, I want to say a closed-minded community, but that makes us sound bad. Yeah. It's just, we're small in size, so we kind of think small as well. Yeah. People, Maltese people who like dare to have big dreams, we're usually like talked about a lot uh, by other people. We like, goss- we like gossiping a lot. And there's this big stereotype of old people are always looking out through their windows. So you're always being watched. Someone will always know what the hell you're doing. And it's oh, also annoying because everyone knows everyone. So you can't really do anything without everyone finding out. So yeah. Malta is basically this massive reality TV show. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> the only way is Malta. <laughs> the only way is Malta. And as to, Malta. as to how I got into theatre, actually my dad... Uh, does theatre and film. He prefers film more than theatre, but I got into it because of him. Oh, I, I didn't know a- that, actually. Yeah, I was always in school plays when I was younger. Like, uh, I'm quite a, like a bubbly and a annoying person, you know? It's kind of like, you can't not know that I'm in a room. So that kind of, when I was growing up and when I was still in primary school, I guess the school just thought, oh, perfect, throw her in theatre. And I was like, all right, I like yeah. it. I'll stay here. I literally think every single person who is involved in theatre or the performing arts in general has had that similar experience of being like, oh, this person's just that little bit extra. Yeah. Let's whack them on the stage. Yeah, and it works. I love it. So why not? Oh, completely. Like, um, like, uh, so we then end up, well, well, first of all, I think we should explain how we both met in case it, we haven't covered it already. Greta and I both met at university, as most people do. But um, we actually don't go to the same university, technically. You no, study, no, you study in Malta, whereas I studied in Falmouth, which is Cornwall in the UK. Yeah. So I was basically and... there for Erasmus. So if anyone doesn't know what that is, it's basically you go uh, on a semester abroad. And I did that. I'm currently graduated now. And I did that in my second year of studies, which was 2019, I think. And yeah, I went there so for you... I went there for a semester, and I met Toby and all of the other amazing people on because I went there to join their course. So Toby and everyone else in their class were already classmates, and they already went through a year together. And then in the second year, I went and joined them for the first semester. Exactly that. Um, but yeah, so you came to um the uk via erasmus between september 2019 and i want to say january 2020 yeah yeah that's so right this was all this was all before coronavirus it know, was before, exactly before coronavirus yeah coronavirus before she popped onto the scene and um basic and uh you know you know we've never really discussed this actually um it's something i'm always fascinated by but um was there any particular reason why you wanted to come to the UK and study? Or was it just that that was the option available? Yeah, you're not going to like this answer, but that was the option that was available. <laughs> but to be fair, there were a lot of schools in the UK. Oh, there's loads. There was loads of schools loads. in the UK. But I think Falmouth was my first choice. Because I remember, really? yeah, I had looked up every, each school I could go to and I had gone through all of their courses and all of their websites. And I remember looking at the study units. And I remember being really uh, fascinated with the study unit you guys have, especially immersive and participatory theatre, which is a study unit we, oh, yeah. we did while I was there. And like that's something which like pushed me to pick Falmouth as my first choice. And I was lucky enough to get my first choice, since in my course we were only like eight people, and not everyone was even going on Erasmus. So we had more places for students than we had students. 
so I could get my yeah. first pick. So that turned out amazingly. I mean, I find it very interesting, though. Like, of all the places in the UK you could have chose, you chose Falmouth, which, um, like, geographically, is probably the most southern university in the UK. Yeah, but I wasn't, like, look, I wasn't looking at geography. I was looking completely at the website and what you can teach me. I was trying to look, oh, yeah. I was trying to look for a school which was so opposite to what I was learning here. And Falmouth was oh, yeah. perfectly that. Oh, yeah. Um, just to give the listeners a bit of context, Falmouth is um, like a university that specializes in the creative courses. So it doesn't have your traditional, your English, your math, your science, but it has your um, like film, TV, fashion, mm-hmm. theater in this case. You know, it has all these sorts of um, very specialized courses to do with um, being in the creative industries. So I think that um, it provides a really nice environment for like being at university, at least I felt. Um, but, you know, love Famouth University, though we do. We aren't sponsored by Famouth University. <laughs> I this wish is just we were. Speaking the mind. I wish we were too. Um, We'll, we'll get on the line. As if. Get on the line. Yeah. But um, whilst you were here then, um, I'd like to know, like, what was the main difference between, like, studying here and in Malta? And even if you noticed any difference in, like, the types of theatre that's on, that's available here and in Malta. There's, like, I mean, there's a phrase in Maltese, I don't know how to translate it to English, but they have nothing to do with each other. Because here in Malta, okay. it's uh, uh, quite theory-based, quite theory-heavy. We did have practicals, mm-hmm. but it was a practical... Uh, it wasn't... It was more theory, and we only did practice. Like a, We had our main amount of practice in first year. Yeah. And then when I came back from Erasmus, we were meant to do a show here, which obviously got cancelled because of, of COVID. And then we had to yeah. kind of navigate that. But even within itself... Excuse me. Even within itself, our lectures are lectures held in a class, whereas in Falmouth, they're usually workshops in a studio or they're creative. Even if it's a lecture, it's, it's not set up like a lecture. I remember we used to have these, these uh, lectures where we'd speak about the future of theatre and kind of look at practitioners and what they're doing right now while we were at Falmouth. Mm. And it was, Little did they know. And it was, <laughs> it was more set up as a discussion than it was set up as a class. Whereas in Malta, uh, almost all of the study units are set up as a class. Does that, yeah. does that, does that, yeah, does, does that make, make sense? No, it makes complete sense. Like, I think, at least please correct me if I'm wrong here, but what you're saying is that um, Malta, it's more like the research and the theory and the um, like writing aspects of theatre rather than in the UK, there's a lot more of a set up and do it approach. Uh-huh. It's kind of like the UK is more the creative process and Malta's more the yeah. research and the academic side of it. Yeah. So, so again, you finish January 2020. Yep. You're back in, um, is it Valletta in Malta? No, that's the capital city. It's the capital city. Is that where you live in Malta, just out of interest? No. No. I won't ask you to disclose your um, personal <laughs> where <text>. I live. <laughs> well, please give me your phone number and address. No, um, so you get back to get back to Malta. <clears throat> excuse me, and um, about two months later, um, coronavirus comes and says hello. Oh yes. So, I mean, can you remember how you felt during the downtime, and what was it like to kind of adjust to the new rules? both like an education and theatrical sense oh my god i wanted to die <laughs> yeah <laughs> because the thing is when i came back from from england i was already obviously getting used to the going back from a very practice heavy course to a very theory heavy one and then the pandemic hit so we were stuck doing theory inside in the in the same four walls looking at a computer screen and I really have difficulty yeah. focusing so that was that did not help and on top of that we also needed to create a, a collective performance which we needed to do completely online because the measures kept changing here 
So we ke- we had to keep postponing when we could actually meet up in a studio until like a month before we were meant to show our work to to the public. Yeah. So kind of navigating how to go from practice based in a studio to research based to then try and figure out practice while you're at home was very much not fun. Oh no, I I can imagine it was most definitely not. It was like. I think, um, I mean, I'm speaking for me here. I can't speak on behalf of anybody else who was on my course. But the kind of change to online learning just didn't really sit right in my head. Yeah. Because, again, we were more of a practical sort of course. So having to kind of do that, like, behind a screen alone in your bedroom or living room in my case was to be honest dare I say a little bit embarrassing yeah because you felt as if the yeah because you felt as if the sort of stuff that you were doing in like workshops and classes anyone knows that um or at least anyone who's gone to university for um theatre or acting or whatever knows that the stuff you do in workshops can often be quite um weird yeah weird and you know that's not to kind of glorify nor villainize any of the courses it's just kind of saying it as it is like if somebody who didn't know what it was like to be in the industry walked in yeah they would be like what on earth is going on here yeah exactly so yeah so for me that kind of um was a thing um and is that something you ever felt like that kind of uh, not embarrassment but uh, also like yeah to go off what, what am i supposed to uh-huh to go on. off what you're saying uh i felt that a lot and i managed to pinpoint it actually it's because there wasn't a studio space because at least for <clears> me ever all throughout my theater training i've always we've always had this uh, notion that the studio is a safe space whatever happens in the studio stays in the studio you walk into yeah. the studio and real life stays outside that door and I felt like the lack of that space which is kind of out of this world was really the only reason I could be able to like, create and be creative and just play with things and just not think about the sense and logic of it and just go okay you have this do what you want with it. It doesn't need to be logical. It doesn't need to make sense. It just needs to be fun for you. And I think the lack Lately. the lack of that studio space, the lack of that safe space where we're kind of allowed to play really did not help anyone. Because yeah. trying to mix uh, that feeling of a studio with that feeling you have at home really are, really are two feelings that just do not gel together. Mm. Because kind no, of like in a studio, you go to escape reality in a way. Yeah, and yeah, if you're at you home, are... you don't have that space. Yeah, it's interesting how we kind of associate space with different things. I mean, it, it sounds rather simple. Like for example, when you're in the bedroom, you go to sleep. Yeah. When you're in the bathroom, you know, you like you um use the bathroom. It's, yeah, it's the same sort of thing, really, with theatre. It's not that uncommon. Yeah. But humans just do anyway. Um, so we fast forward a bit to now, um, and one thing, you know, one thing about this podcast is that we want to be able to spotlight different companies and artists, and you have the distinct pleasure of saying that you have your own theatre company, Miss Yes, Greta. I do. It's called The Daisy the Collective. Daisy. There you go. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Like, how did you come to form the company? what's okay. like your interests in the kind of work that you were making uh, okay so fun story i actually have been thinking about forming one for ages but i got the guts to do it while i was at erasmus oh can you hear that can you hear the cat is is that is that luna the cat that's daisy i'll it's explain daisy. in a minute let me open the door daisy <laughs> daisy oh okay so i started the <laughs> I started the theatre company while I was away on Erasmus and my main focus was to kind of create theatre theatre for the people by the people that's like our slogan 
So I wanted to, because I felt that in Malta there's quite this uh, culture of you have to know people to get into the theatre and you yeah. have to know people through going through school to schools when you're younger, which your parents had to pay for. And I didn't have that, that luxury. I didn't, my parents couldn't afford to send me to some of the uh, more prestigious like drama schools. And I found that Absolutely. I was, and I found that I was quite like left out of things simply because I couldn't attend these drama schools, who were also the ones who are in charge of the main theater shows and pantos and stuff like that. So I thought, you know what? Mm-hmm. If if someone's not going to fix it, I will. So I thought, all right, yeah. I'll start my own theater company, and I can use it as a space to experiment with writing, to experiment with different kinds of theater, to just open up the theater world to absolutely everyone I can, you know? And little fun fact, it's called the Daisy Collective because the cat you can hear screaming is called Daisy. And she's the first ever cat who I helped raise from a kitten. So it's kind of like the Daisy's my baby, the Daisy Collective's my baby. It's just the Daisy's kind of a running team throughout my life. Can I, is Daisy the cat a bit of a diva, may I ask? Yes, but she's also blind, so that's fine. Oh. <laughs> she has to be a diva. She can't see. Oh, bless her. Yeah. B- bless her. But, um... Oh, dear. I mean... I'm a little struck by that. <laughs> I was like, is Daisy a diva? No, she's blind. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was like, oh, how do I move from this? <laughs> All right, next no, question. So, next question. But, um... So, like, in terms of making the company, like, was it quite easy? Was it quite hard? Like, did you just find, like, group of like-minded people? Like, how did it kind of come to form? Uh, I actually have a co-founder. Her name's Lara. She's, a, mm-hmm. she's also my best friend. She was the person who I was kind of using to bounce ideas off of and to be like, what do you think of this? Does this make sense? Because obviously when you're just alone and thinking of things, you don't have that space to kind of revisit them later. Completely. And I, and I was using, not that I was using Laura, but Laura was my uh, kind of feedback person. So she... Yeah, you, would, you would bounce ideas off yeah, each other. And I thought it would only make sense to make her the co-founder. So obviously she, she helps me now. She's my rock. She, <laughs> jokingly, she's my, her title is emotional support. Yeah. And then the, the other three members, they kind of just, I put out a call. I put out a call on my, our Facebook and our social media, and I was like, creatives want it. Uh, I knew I had these roles I wanted to fill because I knew I'd need help in those specific areas of the company, uh, mainly social media, public relations, and marketing. And I've kind of yeah. just, I, I kind of just talked to who messaged me. And I was like, uh, okay, I think you could work well with that and you could work well with that. And I kind of just spoke to them and it happened. Yeah. No? I, I, didn't, I didn't have anyone like predetermined in my head, I want to ask you. I wanted it to be completely a, uh, you come forward and you seem interested. Okay, I'll listen and I'll give you a chance. And that's kind of how, that's kind of how the whole company works. It's uh, even... Uh, I think you might be getting onto this and I'm getting ahead of you, but we, we've done our first film and I didn't want yes. to go, I didn't want to go into uh, the short film having an idea of who I wanted the actors to be. I just wrote the script and I tried to keep it as gender neutral as possible. I didn't even want to give the characters uh, specific male or female traits. I kept it as open mm-hmm. as possible and I just opened it to everyone and said, if you want to be a part of it. I will give you the opportunity to be a part of it. And then, of course, we had auditions and we figured out kind of who would work best with who. But I, I, my main goal is to never go into something with any predetermined ideas of who I want to be in it. Yeah. Well, like, again, you've beaten me to the gun here. Mm. So, like, um, uh, Daisy Collective, first short film, it's called Will Day. Yes. And, um, you know, I got the chance to see it. Honestly, gorge, love it, stunning. Thank you. And um, I, I, well, first of all, like, when did you start a Daisy Collective again? Has it been going for like a year or so? I started it when I was 
in the UK. So 2019, that's two years. Two years. Two years. Ooh, goodness gracious. Um, so this, so again, you are still a pretty new company, and you've already got your first short film, which is an achievement in its own right. But um, talk to us a little bit about its um, like themes and why you wanted to make it and the process of bringing it to life. Okay, so the main theme of Wilde is actually domestic abuse. Yeah. Uh, it's a short film, it's like 20 minutes long. But it only has, I try to keep it as minimal as possible, it only has three characters. There's the therapist, whose name is Quinn, uh, her partner, whose name is Taylor, and the therapist's patient, whose name is Sam. And it kind of follows Sam's and Quinn's journeys simultaneously as they both go through a form of domestic abuse. Uh, it's basically, you have Sam, who, who his mother is experiencing the domestic abuse, and he feels helpless, he doesn't know what to do. So he's kind of, it's not happening to him, but obviously it's not removed. It's, this is his mother, he can't not be involved in it, but at the same time, he can't do anything about it, because it's not to him. And as that's progressing, and as he's battling with those feelings, and trying to figure out what he can and can't do, you see how Quinn is being abused by her partner, but she doesn't realise it until uh, Sam comes to the picture, and he kind of speaks about this and it takes it takes Quinn she has to help Sam in order for her to realize what she's going through yeah I think that um well like I don't want to reveal too much in case anybody wants a bit uh you know any of our listeners go watch it uh piece of film but I think that the arc that you've taken with it is really interesting and really unique because something that I find with a lot of um, works is that I, I find a little bit of a, with, dare I say, traditionally supporting characters, mm-hmm. or in this case, um, what could be perceived as the therapist in a traditional way, um, kind of us not knowing enough about them. So you kind of looking at it from inherently their angle rather than the kind of obvious one, which in my head would be Sam's, mm-hmm. um, I think was a really clever move. And um, I think that's what makes this a really, really interesting and thought-provoking piece of work. Um, is it still available to watch? Uh, it should be, yeah. Okay. So what we'll do is um, in the episode description, we'll put a link in. So if you do want to see um, Will They... Uh, just click on the link and you should be able to see it. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Miss Greta, um, listen, before we take a quick break, um, this is your chance to promote your social pages. So go ahead. Go take ahead. your piece. Okay, so everything will be linked down below, but you can follow the Daisy Collective at the underscore Daisy underscore Collective. We also have a website, which you can find linked on the Instagram page. You can find everything linked there. You can also follow me if you like. I'm at Little Gret. That's just my personal account, if you care enough about me. <laughs> that's about it. Because then you, can find, it. then you can find anything you need to know about the collective from the collective's page and website. Of course. So, yeah, if you are interested in the Daisy Collective, again, that's at V-T-H-E underscore Daisy, D-A-I-S-Y underscore Collective, C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-V-E. Yep. Greta, you have been an amazing sport. Thank you for um, talking to us a little bit about you for now. Thanks. And um, listen, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to be right back. And then I think it's Martin in the hot seat, yo. It is. Go make yourself a cup of tea because we about to spill it all. Oh, let's go for it. Hello, welcome back. We hope you've made that cup of tea because we're about to spill all the tea on Toby. <laughs> He's English, I can say that. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, all right. I mean, if I can call you Maltese, you can go for all the tea analogies. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. let's start off. So, Tobe, when did you know that you kind of had that 
spark from the theater? Oh, um, I mean, I suppose it's quite difficult to pinpoint it down in most cases. Mm -hmm. But I think for me, at least, the obvious answer in my head is that, um, I mean, every um, kid who in the UK who's done theatre will have done or seen um, Joseph and their amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh, God, they do that Joseph. here too. Yeah, oh, iconic, legendary. Yeah. And like the Marmite of the musical world. <laughs> but, um, yeah. But um, I think my parents took me to see it actually um, because in the UK, there used to be like, I can't remember the name of the show, but it used to have Graham Norton and Andrew Lloyd Webber, and it was like an X Factor, but for musicals. Okay. And I. Yeah, and I would have been about four or five. And the person who won it, his name was Lee Mead. And they went to London to go see him in it because the prize was, or the concept was, this edition of the show, they were looking for the next Joseph. And the person who won it got to play Joseph, and it oh, was wow. Lee Mead. Okay. And, um, you know, we went to go see it. And do I remember much of the show? Why, hell. <laughs> but the one thing I do remember is... um uh like having like this feeling or like premonition like mm. being like um like like goosebumps in a way like where you where your hair stand on the edge of your um arm or your skin or whatever yeah. i'd be like i don't know what it is i'm watching i really like it yeah and that is my first memory of um like having that spark for theater it may come earlier if I could be bothered to look through the um family archives and the um photo albums. That's but fine. If if, that, if that's your first memory, the first that's memory the one that counts. Oh, completely. That's yeah. Was there anyone like in particular in your life who kind of always pushed you to be, always pushed you to be true to yourself to this creative side of you? Because obviously, as we Absolutely mentioned before, not. really. No, no one. Oh like, wow! So. As in. Well, how do I phrase this? Like, I'm. If we um look down my family's career lineage, mm -hmm. it uh, is not a common thread in any of them. <laughs> okay. No. So, like, my dad works like on a farm in a way, like a university farm. Uh -huh. Um, my mum does like secretarial work mm -hmm. my nan worked in a post office oh. my uh granddad was an architect you know nothing screaming you know Woo, let's go perform yeah but, um so I've, i think i'm the first of my family's kind to do that but i will but i will say we'll give credit to my mum though just because she um she's the one who's always had an interest in theater mm. and I think that, I mean, obviously, if you are a parent and you do have kids, there is kind of an obligation that you do have to take your kids with you if you can't find a babysitter. You, <laughs> you know, the, the, you know, yeah, the, this isn't a um, Kevin McLeod's situation or whatever. What, Kevin, is it Kevin McLeod? Home Alone? I don't know what his mm. second name is. Oh, Kevin, that'll do. <laughs> um, Kevin McLeod might be the guy of Grand Designs, but never mind. Oh, well, Home um, Alone boy. I'm alone, boy. Um, can't do that. But um, I do have to give credit to her because chances are she's the reason why I um got to see uh, Joseph in the first place. Mm -hmm. And although I wouldn't say my practice revolves around um like traditional musical theatre in the slightest, uh -huh. um, I have to give credit to my mum and that show for kind of I suppose starting uh. The journey to where I am now. That's nice. Okay, so going off of uh, you're not really doing musicals, you do love Shakespeare. Oh, I do. You are like in love with Shakespeare. So can can you like? Oh. I'm not gonna not explain. I'm gonna ask you to expand on your love okay. for Shakespeare. Well, well, where do I start here? Okay, um, I'm gonna start. What What is the thing that makes you love him the most? As in, is there like any specific 
Is it how he writes? Is it the kind of stories he deals with? Is it the fact that it's in Old English and in verse? I don't know. Yeah. I think for me, the way that he... Well, not necessarily just the way that he writes, but more so what he writes about. Mm-hmm. Like, Shakespeare is known as the great plagiarizer. Yeah. But he is also known for writing about, like, in general, what it means to be human. Hmm. And I think for me, like, although it's kind of woven into, you know, like, turning people into donkeys, blurred <laughs> murder, betrayal, mm-hmm. um, politics, you know, all sorts of madness, he kind of had this ability to write about the whole spectrum of what it meant to be a human. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think that's such a rare thing in work. I think it's something that, pardon me, I think it's something that um, all artists kind of strive for. Yeah. Because it's, um, no, we're always looking for the answer of what it means to be human. And I think Shakespeare, at least in my head, has kind of come the closest. Okay. Okay. That's a really good answer. I didn't know you liked them that much. And, and that was, I didn't know you liked them. That was the reason why I liked them that much. Oh, I, I mean, that's just one of many things. Ooh. I think that the way that he uses language is immense. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it might just be because um, just really, and en- I was one of the few people that just really enjoyed reading him in English. Really? Like literature lessons. Yes. Yes. Like loads of people just don't bother with him because they can't understand what he's on about which is i mean fair play <laughs> uh, like <laughs> you know yeah like i just there was something about the language to me which is like i don't know what he's saying i'll get the gist mm-hmm. and that was um that for me kind of sold what he was going on about all right nice how has your love for shakespeare affected any work you've done, if it has? Um, it's a good question. I think um, it goes back to my interest in what it means to be human and mm. rather how Shakespeare wrote about it. Um, I think that if we look at, I mean, I don't want this to turn into a Shakespeare podcast <laughs> because it, that's not for everyone. No, thanks. I don't even like uh, Shakespeare. We, oh, no. <laughs> really? You know I don't like Shakespeare. Fired. No. <laughs> But, um, so, for me, if we, like, take, like, an element of one of his plays, mm-hmm. so let's say, let's go for an obvious one here, um, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm-hmm. Like, A Midsummer Night's Dream is all about, like, aside from being, you know, confusing people for other people and loving other people and it being all fun and merry and stuff. Yeah. Like at its core, as an argument we suggest, it's all about like people fu- like in the end finding love for the right person, even when they're kind of blinded a little bit. Hmm. And that's and to me that's a really like opt well, optimistic and romantic, but just such a like lovely sentiment in there. Dad, that's what Shakespeare meant, and I bet this is a classic case of um. Do you know the whole um, the blue curtain analogy, where it's like if someone has like when you're reading a book, and like, as like for example, a blue curtain, and then the um reader's like, oh, this could mean this, and this could mean that, and it's just and it's nothing to do with that. They yeah, just yeah. wanted to put in a blue curtain. Yeah, yeah, it might just be me doing that. <laughs> I think. But I think that kind of, um, you know, taking those core merits of what it means to be human and what the experiences you were living in at the moment as well, because a lot of Shakespeare is rooted in history. Mm-hmm. Like the obvious one, at least in my head, is he wrote Macbeth at the time when James I was on the throne. James I was a massive witch skeptic. So makes sense that the three witches are still really nice. Yeah. Like, I mean, 
kudos to you, Shakespeare. He's rolling in the money. But, um, like, be able to talk about those sorts of um, issues and themes at the time as well. That's really important to my work. Mm -hmm. And I think also uh, a lot of theatre people always use Shakespeare as a kind of an anchor because when... Mm. Do you remember when we did the uh, the immersive show while I was there? Yes. We had to link all yeah. of the four different performance rooms via the same Shakespeare monologue, the same yeah, Shakespeare so... text. So he's quite used as a way to kind of anchor all kinds of theatre into the core. I think a lot of people see Shakespeare as the core of theatre. Oh, yeah. You know? Completely. Like um, j just to give the list our listeners a bit of um context, uh, when Peter and I were kind of at university at the same time, we did a um piece of immersive theatre, um whose name I can't quite remember. Shifter, visions the of the future. Was, if there you go, um not available on iTunes, and um the uh idea was that the class was split into four. And we each took four studios in the building that we were studying in, and we effectively turned them into immersive spaces. And the audience moved through them, like as kind of a bit of a walking, not well, in their case, sitting, because rolling. We, um, yeah, rolling, because the uh, like seats that they were on were like on little trolleys, I suppose. Mm -hmm. They could be physically moved around. And, um, you know, it was a very fun experience. It was um, at the best of times stressful <laughs> because everything, yeah, because, you, I mean, you'll remember, everything's down to, like, time. Oh you my can't afford to be a second out with that. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, and, like, um, with that, I don't want to say, like, I mean, I don't want to criticise the work in case the tutors listen <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, um, but, um, I think that, like, there was a bit where we whacked it with Shakespeare's sonnets. I, um, I can't remember the number, but it's the one that goes, um, something to do with, if I do count the clock that tells the time or something like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, it was beautiful, but I don't entirely know how it fit. Uh, I think... And, uh, I think the aim of using that Shakespeare monologue was to for us to find a way to make it fit, because in in my yes. in my room specifically, we ended up dissecting it and kind of devoiding the words of any meaning and tried to kind of use them as the sound to create this like dreamlike space. So that's how we used it. But then how you yeah. guys use it is obviously very different than us because your room was more towards the na more towards nature and mother nature. So how you use that yeah. sonnet had although they are the same exact words written by the same exact person we both uh kind of use them how we needed mm -hmm. and i think that's why shakespeare is so kind of big in the theater yeah. realm oh know? yeah he has this like endless interpretability because of how specifically vague his work is <laughs> yep Oh, we love we love to hear it. We do. So um, we've been speaking about Falmouth. So how did you end up mm, in Falmouth? Oh, <laughs> I feel like there's a story like here. Say, there is a story. Um, I like to say I ended up in Falmouth by accident. Uh huh. Yeah. So um, like anybody who's applied to university in the UK will have had to go through this fabulous system called UCAS. Oh yes. And Yes, uh, UCAS. That that that's um that's a whole other tangent which we don't have the time for. Okay. But, um, but uh, like I I'd applied to all these quite well-known drama schools in the UK because that was kind of expected. On where like I'm originally from Telford, and there was kind of this at least my education expectation that you had to get into these same 16 drama schools. Mm -hmm. And um, it was kind of looking over on the UCAS and um, Falmouth just randomly turned up once. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, as in, 
it turned up once. I could never find it since. And um, like, and um, I quite like the look of it, so I put it down. And when I tried to find it on UCAS again, just to counter reference it, wasn't there. Couldn't find it. Oh wow! So, um, I went around all these drama schools, and um, for me at least, I just don't think the energy. Or mm-hmm. the vibes that they were given just worked for me. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm not going to name any names, but um, I think that there was such a high sense of competitiveness. Yeah. That it just kind of made a bit of an unhealthy, um, like, relationship mm-hmm. around what you were working with. Whereas for me, when I got to Falmouth, wasn't that in the slightest. Like, yeah. it was, you know, same principles as a drama school just a better environment and for me that was kind of all I needed really so I you know had my audition had a whale of a time hmm. auditioned with Shakespeare King Lear Edgar's monologue of course you and, did um of course uh nailed it if I do say so myself oh. um and uh yeah I, I got to Falmouth and Rest is history, I suppose I could say. So what you're telling me is us meeting is a hundred and ten percent coincidence. Completely. <laughs> Great, I like, love it. As in yeah, as in I didn't as in I barely even remember applying for Falmouth. Amazing. Wow, yeah. I love it. So you also have had a, a show which you got to write, direct, premiere. It's called Queens. Yes. So tell us a bit Queens. about that. Give us some context. Give us what your main ideas for theme were. And also, I really want to know, because you obviously, uh, you did a filmed version for people abroad like myself, and which I'm very appreciative of, by the way. And you also did the stage version. So I kind of want to know if there were any differences between the film and stage version. Okay. Um. So, well, first of all, so Queens was this show that I kind of came up during um, the first lockdown in the UK. So uh, date-wise, that's about March to May, June 2020. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wrote it. Um, <laughs> I I honestly wish I could say there was a higher purpose for it, but I wrote it because I was bored. <laughs> like, as in, as in, I... University timetabling was not as nearly as strenuous as it was being in person, so I kind of wrote it in my spare time. And I mean, you'll know this because you've written too, Greta. But when the words flow, they flow. Yeah. And for me, I was just starting to write it, and I've always had a massive interest in um, uh, like drag because Queens it's a drag show. It's like um based around uh, four queens living in London. And um, it kind of explores them working a night on New Year's Eve, uh, just before it's about to be 2000. And um, for me, um, the words just fl- the words just um, flooded out. I knew what I was saying. And I wrote the script, and I just remember being like, you know what, I actually really like this. So I sent it off to a couple of people. Mm-hmm. And they were like, and you know, gave me the feedback, and I kind of went back and forth and back and forth. And then, in about December of 2020, um, this was when I could be back in Falmouth because um, I think there was an exemption at the time that oh, now I'm again ahead of myself. I'm getting my coronavirus history mixed up, <laughs> but um. Which I mean, it's easy to do at this point, but um, I kind of talked about it with a couple of people, some Falmouth who were in my class, and they were interested in it. So I proposed it to the team at um, Amata, which is the theatre, uh, like, and also the facility that I studied at in Falmouth, and they were like, "Yeah." Go on then. You can do it. Why not? Do it. And, you know, I was 
and to be honest, I was completely shocked. <laughs> like because, well, because I was like, this is something that I just kind of wrote because I was um, you know, because I wanted something to write, and I was and don't get me wrong, I was really passionate about it. Um, was surprised they wanted to put it on like and i value that down to kind of how prepared i came in a way mm-hmm. like as in i turned up with not just the play but also budget costume design set design you know i came with the whole shebang oh wow you because... were you were done i well the thing is it was because like i knew because you know we were also making this not just during um coronavirus but also um uh like second semester of third year of my degree mm-hmm. so i didn't really have the option to not be prepared yeah so you know i um i kind of came with all of this and they were like yeah on then why you not sound, you seem to know you seem to know what you want about by the looks of it yeah so i yeah so i got this um so i applied for a um grant from the family for next students union or um the fxu and um they were interested in the projects and again very very fortunate to be able to do this during corona um so we got a grant for the project which contributed to making the costumes bespoke and the set and the makeup because you know drag ain't cheap oh no I, I I remember um we went into um me and um uh, a girl called Billy who um played Sapphire in the show. We went a super drug to get the makeup. Mm-hmm. And um it, it was it was the weirdest experience for me because I asked her to come along because um she she was very knowledgeable about makeup, whereas I have no clue whatsoever. So <laughs> I was like, Billy, tell me what I need to get. Help. I got this whole basket full of makeup. And I think the total came to about a hundred and something pound. Yeah. And and the makeup clerk was just looking at me very confusingly, like, why the hell does he need all this makeup? <laughs> what is this man doing? What 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 does this man need with all this Maybelline and Ribble number five? You know, like you know <laughs> so, so you know, it was um it was a it was honestly such a great experience and we were very fortunate to be able to put it on. Now, um, to answer your question about the filmed and the live version of it, mm-hmm. um, originally it was planned to do it live. We were planning to have it as like an immersive show. Oh. And so, yeah, so the auditorium was intended to be like a nightclub and you could physically go up to a bar and order drinks from it if you wanted. I wanted it to kind of be like, you're not walking into a theatre show, you're walking into a nightclub in the late 1990s. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, uh, we we had a meeting with um, the team at Amata around about mid-late April, and they said to me, um, judging by uh, the circumstances the world's in right now, like, although you know, COVID at the time was getting a little better. Um, they just weren't confident about letting people back in to see shows live at the, at the time that we proposed to do the show. Mm-hmm. So we had to transfer it to film anyway. Okay. And that was like a whole nother kettle of fish. Oh. Because, because um, uh, you know, we'd planned all this, okay, we're going to do this immersive. And then we have to be like, oh, but we have to get, three film cameras in now and we can't have an audience when the show is very heavily reliant on that audience mm-hmm. so uh me it was a challenge but um it was one that i think really really paid off in my favor like um i i really enjoyed making the show um i made some great memories and great work with it and um you know the film did uh, pretty well, actually. It did better than I was expecting. Oh so yeah, because um... you were obviously you had yours was different than mine because mine's free to stream and yours is you had to pay a ticket and it was just premiered for that night. Hmm? 
Yeah, that's. Do you, do you know how many how how many tickets you got to sell? Because I can't see. Um, I do know as to whether or not I'm allowed to say that information publicly is another matter. That's fine, as long as you uh, know. But I do know, and it was higher than what I thought it was going to be. Oh, nice. Because, well, also because um, uh, the idea was with the film we wanted to um kind of use it to test the water a little bit because um you like ticket sales weren't proportional to views if that made sense for example mm -hmm. you only need to pay for one ticket i heard a case of like family of five or six were watching it yeah obviously when it comes to film the ticket sales don't affect yeah. how many people actually watch yeah i should mention this was around in late june so obviously covid it was chill yeah and all covid measures were completely um adhered to here too across it all um no we we took the film as kind of like a pilot thing and um i'm very very fortunate to be able to say we are actually coming back to do it live in november oh really yeah so yeah oh, no so i need to book a flight kobe yeah we're, we're back 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 again oh, you know so we're yeah, get get on um get on Skyscanner Girl. Oh yeah, you bet. Like um so yeah, we're gonna be back in uh, Amato and Falmouth for November, early November. And it'll be fully immersive. And you know, we'd love to see you there because honestly, there's nothing like it live. Oh it's so fun to watch in the space. Great. I am going to go book my flights right after we finish recording this. I hope everyone who's listening does so as well. Oh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Toby, for spilling all that tea. Oh, girl. It's the first letter of my name. How could, <laughs> How could you not? How could you not? Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see you guys for the outro. Of course. Thanks for listening. That was the first ever, ever episode of The Next Stage. Uh, we hope you got to know more about me and Toby. Yeah, thank you for listening. Um, listen, we are going to be back with more episodes to come. And you know, I'm really excited for what the future of this podcast can be. Yeah, uh, just so you know. They... That's your cue, girl. I'm coming, I'm coming. Yeah, just so you know, uh, future episodes... Could either be interviews, uh, kind of similar to this one. They could be discussions about topics, uh, which we find interesting, or which you guys want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, they can really be anything, you know. It's just a, just a space to be creative. Oh, completely. And listen, you know, we want to keep this as open as possible as a podcast. So you know, again, Greta said, could be interview, could be open discussion. We also are really interested in knowing what you guys would want us to kind of cover as well so don't be afraid to kind of you know get in touch um if you're on anchor the um uh like the platform that we're using you can also send voice messages as well to kind of um you know talk to us directly and we'd be more than happy to have a listen and discuss something that you find interesting or you'd want us to kind of talk about on the podcast ourselves that's um something that I mean, I'm sure we'd both be really interested in doing. Yeah. Uh, we'll also yeah. have uh, all of our like social media <laughs> and things like that and everything we've mentioned throughout this episode linked in the podcast description. So that way you guys can find everything easily. Completely. But uh, y'all know it's been a who. It has been. I'll, see, been I'll, I'll yeah. see you at the next stage, Toby. You'll see me at the next stage. Yep. I'll see you at the stage after. <laughs> or more accurately, the bar. Yeah, the bar. <laughs> yeah, the bar. But listen, um, but you know how it is. Uh, listen, leave us a review. Because, um, listen, I don't know if you know this, Greta, but um, the way that you're more likely to be found mm -hmm. on um, the podcast algorithms is if you leave a positive review. Really? So, yeah. I mean, Google told me this, so it's got to be legit. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, leave us a review. We want to hear, again, we want to hear from you. Yeah. So, oh, that rhymes. <laughs> Talk of Shakespeare earlier. Ooh. Leave us a review because we want to hear from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh dear, I'm listen. I could keep jabbering all day. All right, I'll you I'll shut you up, Toby. Thanks for listening. Let us know what you think, and you can connect with us in whatever way you want through all of the links in our social media. So thanks, guys. Speak to you soon. Till next time, everybody. See you later. Bye. Ciao.